0: Grand Touring Motorsports started as a social group of car enthusiasts, but we've expanded into all sorts of motorsports disciplines, and we want to share our stories with you. Years of racing, wrenching, and motorsports experience brings together a top-notch collection of knowledge and information through our podcast, Fix. <laughs> next podcast has to just be stories from Matt, by the way. Just-
1: <laughs> 100%. Is the, the title
2: past. of next week's podcast, Y'all Be Yippin'? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so matt what do you what do you think you you, you gonna unmute <laughs> i
2: had to find a button first
0: all right, all right so let's hear what matt has to say
2: Of I, well i don't want to change my background
0: <laughs> i think pause
2: I, think. I, I, I like that his lamp so embodied is embodied the three <laughs> yeah it's really cool yeah but it's only but it's only in the now uh, whatever all right, so you the, the, the car that got away, huh?
0: Yeah. You, I mean, you've had several, several cars since I've known you, and that's only been a short time, five or six years.
2: People used to give me cars. Uh, I, I've had a variety of cars that were the, the blue GTI that Eric ultimately ended up with, somebody gave me, and according to the Volkswagen nerds, it was the rarest color ever. And the only thing that made it different from every other GTI 16 valve was it was blue, which, you know, apparently is a, is a big thing, but cars that got away, I I guess when I was in college, I uh, had a good friend who his father was a mechanic, uh, owned a repair shop in, in the town of star North Carolina. And they lived in the town of I kid, you not ether North Carolina because it was such an exciting town. It had two stop signs. And the biggest thing that happened to them that year was that the, uh, the mill up the street got a Coke machine so they could go get a Coke without having to go into town. (laughs) But Mr. Jenkins worked on a lot of interesting stuff. First time I had ever seen a Lotus seven or replica and he had a Westfield. What else did he have? That was interesting. He had uh, he kept a 1956 Packard Caribbean convertible for the local millionaire, but he had a car that he offered to me, and I should have bought it because I paid. I would have paid the same for that as I would that I ended up paying for the uh, 86 GTI 8 valve that I bought that uh, that I kept for many, many years. In fact, Eric probably remembers that car very vividly. Car I learned to drive on. He <laughs> tried to kill me in more than once. But um, the car, the car that I was offered was interesting. It was a Ford Mustang. It was black and it had gold dust stripes on it. It had this really big, ugly tachometer on the on the dashboard of all things, and it had snakes all over it. <laughs> and,
1: uh, I the, think I know where this is going. <laughs>
2: the, the, the VIN started at CS. For those, for those who know the Shelby Mustangs, they made the GT 350H. They were rental cars. The first 85 of those cars were manual transmission, manual brake cars.
0: Were those Hurst
2: cars? Hertz, rental car.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hertz, Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. They
2: had
1: Hurst shifter stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first,
2: the first 85 were rental cars. Or I'm sorry, were, were manual transmission cars. And after that, Hertz excuse was it took an excessive amount of effort to, uh, to steer and brake the cars. So they they went to automatics with power steering and power brakes. the The reality was that most of the rental cars came back. They either had uh, they had welding marks in the in the body from when a roll bar was installed. Some of them came back with different tires. A lot of them came back with a standard 289. the uh, The standard 289, I believe, was a 271 horsepower motor. The Shelby motor was a 289 and made 306 horsepower. Which, in that day, was amazing. 1957 Chevrolet, fuel injected, was the first car to make one horsepower per cubic inch. Today, you know, what, what's your what's your what's your two-liter turbo putting out in a, in a in a in a in a Volkswagen's what about 200 horse? I mm-hmm. guess
0: 450 in an R.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's a lot. Okay.
2: <clears throat> yeah, think about that in cubic inches because that's two liters, and I can't remember what that what that correlates into inches.
1: How many hair dryers is that?
2: <laughs> you get lots, of, lots, of, lots and lots of hair dryers. But in any case, the Mustang that I was offered was, uh, it was not a numbers matching car, but it was a four-speed. At $13,000, because it wasn't worth anything at that time, it would have been a hell of a car, but I, I guarantee you, none of you would know me now because I'd have been dead about 20 minutes later. I remember one morning, I, I used to, spend the weekends there because uh it was a nice way to get away from get, get away from school i remember one morning mr jenkins looks at me and he says very, he, was a, he was about six eight and, he, and if he said three words a day that was a lot and he says you ridden in mustang no sir well you should no kidding you know <laughs> let's go for a ride And he backs it out of the driveway and they, they, were, they, were, they were Chevrolet people. You know, that's a big thing in, in, the, in the South.
1: Now, mm-hmm. man, Dan's smiling now. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, he says, he says, it makes all them horrible Ford noises. Got them damn metal bushings. And he says, well, I'll take it easy. We'll go down go into town. You know, he takes it easy. And he, there's a, there was a bypass from star to ether. Don't ask me why. There, there was nothing else out there. It's not like they were bypassing the big cities. He got it out on the main drag. Damn if that thing wouldn't catch all four gears. <laughs> and you know it, it's it's crude. If any of you have ever ridden in a uh, a '65 Mustang, '66 Mustang, there's not <laughs> there's not a whole lot of luxury in that car. Uh, you know that oh that that was it's a piece of history. You know there was a a kid that I knew from high school. You know it was. Real proud of himself. And he had a Shelby Mustang or GT350H. And um, I had to laugh because his was an automatic. <laughs> the but
0: Ascat anyway, Rio yeah. is no Geo Metro convertible. Uh, no convertible.
1: That's what I was, I was holding that gem for Matt because <laughs> what, what, I know he regrets. Geo Metro
2: convertible. Come on.
1: He, he regrets not buying one of those yet. Come on now, Matt. That, that is, is true. That's what true.
2: give me. If, if i did i'd have
1: bought one by now well you know what's really funny what's really really funny we tried we tried actually really hard me and a bunch of your your friends matt for your 50th birthday we So-called, tried man. we tried to find a fuchsia geo metro convertible manual we were we were gonna buy it we were <laughs> we had a whopping budget of 52 dollars to spend that's about all they're work <laughs> and believe you we couldn't find one that was the worst part it was like there was a point there where they were everywhere. They're like, ah, geometric convertible, yellow, white, whatever. Yeah. And the closest thing came was some clapped out stoner, you know, electric blue car in Denver. And I'm like, I am not going that far, but we will find that Fuchsia geo for you. I You, guarantee know, you know what it.
2: happened? They, they all bought the, uh, the Chrysler PT convert, uh, PT cruiser convertible. Mm-hmm. The standard, a purchase requirement for any Geo Metro convertible is you had to weigh at least as much as the car. And as they got older and heavier, they needed to get bigger cars, and that's why they bought the PT Cruiser convertible. Who was it? Somebody showed up at a Lemons race with a Geo Metro convertible that had come right out of somebody's garage. <laughs> they put a roll, you know, put the roll cage in it, and that was it. I mean, you open up the hood, and it still had the stock air cleaner, and it was completely stocked and it won its class.
0: That's a numbers-matching car right there.
2: <laughs> oh, well, it was because it was – well, you, you know, my, you heard me say it before. I, you know, I, I, I don't like Frankenstein cars because I've built enough, and that was a prime example. That thing was – it was untouched for good so reason, to, but it
1: was untouched. I have to say, you, you say they went from the Metro to the PT convertible? I yeah. think there was a transition period where a lot of them got the Chrysler Sebring convertibles.
2: Well, yeah, I, you know, I rented I rented one of those in Detroit, and I autocrossed it, and it was phenomenal.
0: Wait, 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 hold, hold, hold. You autocrossed a Chrysler Sebring?
1: Was it John Voigt's?
2: <laughs> yeah, I rented it. Well, I I flew in and out of Cleveland because it was cheaper, and uh I had I had amassed enough points, and I said. Uh, they the first thing they tried to give me a Grand Prix with like forty thousand miles, which in rental car miles, as all, as those of you who travel know, that's like what like two hundred thousand miles in dog years. And so I I went back and no way. So oh, we can give you a convertible. Well, it's like late April or it was March I think in Detroit. Sure, give me the freaking convertible. And so. I ended up driving it. I went to Erie for the weekend because I have a family friend I grew up with, and they had an autocross there. The car was amazing. You would turn in, and it would literally lay down on the on the uh, rocker panel. And as you turned in, you could watch the rear of the car twist in the opposite direction. The uh, <laughs> Dude, Your sarcasm
1: knows no bounds.
0: <laughs> so, so are you saying you regret not buying a Chrysler Sebring? Is that what I'm hearing? Is that the one that got away, Matt?
1: I think he regrets that rental.
0: <laughs> you know, he said he got that with rewards points. I don't think a Chrysler Sebring convertible is a reward. That's a punishment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of my many trips involved going to uh, Chicago. And the reward car that I got was a Taurus with a
1: sunroof. Are you I can't. Are you, are you? cashing in, like, the Monopoly things from McDonald's? And these You're a glutton for punishment,
0: Matt. Uh, are you taking enterprise reward points and cashing them in? It hurts?
2: Yeah. No, I – fortunately, I had hurt, but still, oh. Well, you know, the, the, the beauty is, as I as I started traveling more and became more, uh, more educated, I gravitated towards the Crown Vic because, A – they didn't get beat up like the little cars did, and B, I usually got them in white because that way I kind of blended in, except for the one night I got lost in the garment district in LA. and I'm driving through the garment district at like 10 o'clock at night in a white crown Vic, and I'm like, "I look like a cop, I'm going to die." Who drives around and who drives around the garment district at 10 o'clock at night? No one, no one with a brain. Uh, but my, my coworker who would travel with me was a little gal little older than I am, but she was like five foot tall. And you're only
0: five foot two.
2: Thank you. And, and she, she would ride in that car. She couldn't see over the dashboard. And she, I said, what do you think of these things? She goes, well, it's like my father's father's Oldsmobile. <laughs> but we, I love those cars. They were comfortable. You, you could you know you could you could park them anywhere because it was so damn big no one would get in your way
1: right 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 well there there you have it never a dull moment All right, <laughs> oh. we were just getting started we were cracking into dan's uh background history here our crossing and whatnot
2: oh yeah no well ask, ask him why he has that email address <laughs> oh man there is a story behind that
1: the, the slow rocco right yeah
2: have you heard that story? I used to autocross this Scirocco, a 1981
1: Chirocco S model.
2: And it was a fun little car. It was all suspension, and no, no, no tweaks to the motor or anything. And I thought it was pretty slick, and I thought I was okay. But there was this guy that used to hop in my car, and every time he hopped in my car, he'd beat my time in my own car. And so he started calling it the Slow Rocco. Nice. Well, that person was Matthew Yip. <laughs> <laughs> Remember those days? Because, well, we were we were thrilled if we got what thirty cars or something like forty
1: cars. Oh, especially at those sesca events and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, any, of, any of those earlier before we started the episode, I tried to think back of all the British cars that Matt has owned over the years at least since I've known him. And, you know, he always told me, I'm not really into British cars. And I think I tallied up somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 of them.
2: No, 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 <laughs> not British
1: cars. <laughs> but I mean, if you go back to the, the MGA and the B and the multiple Land Rovers and the Jag with the 350 and the Lotus, I mean, you, it adds up pretty quick. There's a lot of them in there. Well, growing up, I had a good friend who uh, is the
2: father of one of my high school friends. Who had Jags? He had a XJ Twelve L with a small block, and then he uh, he bought a seventy-eight XJS with the V twelve. Hated the V twelve and put a small block in it. And uh, his brother had a uh, had a coupe with a small block. And I really liked the cars. I mean, they compared to German cars. You're right. German cars are very sterile. Japanese cars are. I hate. I, I can't describe. They're bland. They're very sterile, but they're very functional. British cars are, are very are, are like a club. Yeah, you, know, you walk inside; it's got a lot of wood, it's got a lot of leather. It just it's it's a very clubby feel. So I, I ended up with oh, the, well I picked up the XJ6L because it had a small block Chevy in it, and uh, I went to take something out of it, and the number of tiny, uh, tiny tiny screws holding the dashboard together were phenomenal. And it reminded me that whoever built this car was probably a cabinet maker before they were a coach builder. So I had another good friend who, uh, what was it show? Was it uh, Off-Road Trucks or something like that? Dan.
1: Yeah, Dan Rao. Yeah, he was on Truck Night in America.
2: And he's, he's had Land Rovers for decades. Found a 72 Series 1, Series 2, I'm sorry. And it was cheap enough. I figured I'd bring it to this side of the country and if it was junk, I'd sell it as it was, uh, it ran. Uh, the idiots who had it couldn't figure out how to start a car with a carburetor or points. And you know, the beauty to that car, the beauty to the MG, MGs, plural, is the simplicity. The Land Rover showed up, it had a, an adjustable wrench in the, in the, uh, in the tool chest. And I, I laughed, I said, hey, here's half the toolkit because between an adjustable spanner and a screwdriver if you can't take a land rover apart you should just give up mean <laughs> the uh well and, and the neatest thing about the land rovers was even into the 70s it had a manual priming fuel pump and a crank to start it that was one of the best party tricks ever you know watch this shit
1: and you crank it and start right up that was pretty cool now i will say it was disconcerting riding in that that landy because you sat on top of the gas tank so you know but I understand why they built it that way.
2: Well, but you want to talk about stupid simple?
1: Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, I mean, stupid simple and
2: and tough as nails. I mean, you know, you you see the you see them on the on the TV shows, you know, born free and whatnot. And they beat the hell out of them. They don't care. You know, and now I've got the newer the newer version. I've got that <laughs>
0: Hang
1: on. I muted John, but now we're still getting a reverb. There we go. <laughs> Let's yes. just completely mute him. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, All right. You, you're in the box, John. Just stay over there. All right. <laughs> Who knows with technology? Apparently it must be Lucas laptops over at the Wade house. Is. Yeah. <laughs> you
2: know, and, you know, now, now I've got that 2000 disco, and you know, there there are all the horror stories about Land Rovers being unreliable and whatnot. And I mean, Dan actually has it right now because he was kind enough to lend me a hand doing some things, and he had to leave his truck and trailer here. I mean, the, the, the Disco is a very comfortable, very competent off-road vehicle. The the new ones are as well. But the problem I have with all the new ones is they've become so glitzy that you don't want to take them off-road. Not like not like the old uh, series. You know, the old series you get it. You get it muddy, you just take the roof off and take the garden hose to it. You know, and and my, my Lotus is the definition of simplistic. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the last factory-built 7s, but that's another car that, you know, an adjustable wrench and a screwdriver, and you can take that thing apart and have it in pieces. And, you know, the, the real irony is you're talking about, uh, what was it, 35 horsepower in the original Mini, My Lotus has the Austin Healey Sprite motor with a Weber. And I I don't know the actual power figure, but um, in stock trim with the SUs, it was a whopping 43 horsepower, but the car weighs 986 pounds. And uh, I had it out on the road the other day for the first time and it'll go 60 miles an hour, which is, as I said, 43 horsepower. Never felt so furious in your life.
1: That's true.
2: I mean, they're interesting cars. You know, they, they're weird. But, you know, if you think about it, so are German cars. Ger- Germans tend to over-engineer the hell out of them. And as a result, they over-complicate it, where the Brits tended to not over-complicate, but they tended to engineer really bad things and then stick with them forever. <laughs> he, I, just, you I just
0: love the fact that the way Matt... I mean, the the way to fix a British car and Matt's list of cars there is just put a small black Chevy in it, and then they're all good.
1: There is a website, (laughs) jags.run.com, and that is the solution. It's LS Swap the World, right? As has been already mentioned, putting a 350 in, it's the best solution to a lot of the problems with the old. And if I recall correctly, I think when I first met Matt, uh, Eric, you were trying to talk me into buying the Jag off of him that already had the 350 in it, but I chose not to. (laughs)
2: <laughs> my aunt and uncle came up this weekend to visit for the first time. She's in her 80s and he's in his 90s. Eric, you know, the, the quacks. My aunt walked into my garage and went, oh, my God, what is that on the floor? I said, oil, huge patch. I said, I have British cars. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I think we told this joke before, Matt, but, you know, if a British car isn't leaking, there's one reason or one reason only for it. It's <laughs> empty. <laughs> love we, that. Oh, well, Volkswagens are very similar, believe me. I, uh, I've had Volkswagens that do the same thing, you know. If it's not dripping, something's wrong. Well, Matt's the one that always yeah.
1: told me never buy a Jag with low mileage because it means it never ran.
2: I'm trying to find a pic- the picture. I, I had an original Mini for a very short period of time. A buddy of mine
1: had a, had a, a new Remember, Mini. he didn't have any British. He doesn't have had that many British cars.
2: No, no British cars. No, not at all. <laughs>
1: so it always well, yeah, and, and a buddy
2: of mine has an original, or has a has a you know a modern Mini, and we were at an autocross. The Mercedes Benz Club at the time used the three foot tall cones, and in in, in, a, in a real Mini, they they look like a forest. But I don't think people who own new Minis realize how small a Mini really is. I, I mean, think the
1: only car smaller than the Mini is a Fiat 500.
2: Well, and and as I always used to say, if you cut the roof off of a new Mini and took guts out. You put the new Mini inside, put the roof back on, never know it was
1: there. Oh, yeah, put the old yeah. Mini inside. Yeah, absolutely.
2: But the best, the coolest thing about having a right-hand drive car, though, is that you can really screw with people around here. A friend of mine used to put his son in the left seat of his car with one of those kiddie uh, steering wheel things.
1: Nice.
2: And he said it was nothing like the look he got when he passed people and his son, who was two or three, would go, ha. Ah! and wave as they were
1: driving by but i want to talk about bmws for a second matt i mean for me to you i really like das boot and you had that 740i bmw that was such a fantastic riding car granted i didn't have to live with any of the misery you did with its maintenance and stuff like that but man talk about a ride what
2: maintenance (laughs) i you know I, i well i i uh I joined the BMW club about the same time I met you, not on, not on purpose. Um, a fellow named Virgil Acosta, who used to autocross quite a bit, signed me up for a track day with BMW club. And he said, Oh, here's your, here's your application for the event. Don't forget to send them 50 bucks to join the club. And he threw it in the mailbox right in front of me, son of a bitch. (laughs) And I, you know, and, and, and to be wholly honest with you at that time, BMW made some really neat cars. The, uh, the 320i unfortunately was really popular then, and it, it was it was no 2002. It was it was squishy and soft, and uh, every yuppie in America drove one. You know that they, uh, hello, I'm a stockbroker and I'm very wealthy and I have a BMW. But they had the base model BMW. You, you never saw the 530s or the 520, the old 528s. The ones who drove those were the same people who drove 450 SEL Mercedes the people who knew what they were buying. But I got it in my head that my uh, 16-valve Volkswagens were starting to get a little long in the tooth. The GTI that I drove every day had a Flowmaster on it. I stopped listening to the radio because you couldn't hear it. And I actually had earplugs that I put in when I drove it on the street because it was so freaking loud. I think uh, someone told me they heard me about about two blocks from their house. They lived in the city. But I, I started looking at BMWs. I had friends who who were BMW, uh, BMW enthusiasts, and I had hunted for a, uh, an E24 M6, which is, uh, what is it, 80, 86, 87, uh, 88, and 89, I think. But they were really expensive, partly because they were a coupe. I, I much prefer coupes to sedans. And uh, talking to a friend of mine, he said, well, he says the E24 is a nice car, but he says it's heavier and the rear suspension is more crude than the E28 M5, and the E28 M5 was also cheaper. So I, I started hunting around for those because at that time you know, sports cars were two-door coupes and and uh, and hatchbacks. Nobody drove a sedan. The challenge. Hang on. Stop that. Sorry. We uh, we, we, we we like uh, we, we like clawing things. We'll, we'll um, edit that out. <laughs> it's all good. Um, the, the the challenge was just finding an, e, an E28. They were there weren't that many of them, and the ones that were purchased were purchased for a reason. In other words, you didn't buy the uh, you you didn't spend the I think it was like thirteen thousand dollar premium to buy an E28 M5 over a 535 IS for no for no good reason. Plus, and this is why my esteem for BMW plummeted was the E36 was the first car that they compromised on so heavily. E36 was the M car that had a single throttle body. It was production line built and they ultimately offered an automatic because the market whined that my wife won't let me buy one because it's a manual. The teacher had to drive a stick. I just, you know, the the, the beauty of the E28 M5 is And at the time, I had 16-valve Volkswagens as well. I owned two cars that were unavailable with an automatic transmission.
1: God save the manual.
2: Well, and and to be wholly honest with you, that's probably the one car I regret selling is the E28 M5. Compared to today's BMWs, it's horrible. The seats are hard. The ride was stiff. The coolest thing about it was, and I I read this, so it's not actually, I didn't come up with this, but... As you drove it and you got on it really hard, you, you could almost hear an F1 race somewhere in the background. You know, individual throttle bodies. It didn't have a cold air intake like you're used to, but uh, you, could, you could definitely tell when you opened up the throttle. I ended up with a company called UUC who
1: made exhausts for it. The, the owner was originally uh, partnered with Rogue Engineering. Oh, interesting. It's a name we know pretty well these days.
2: Yeah, well, uh, yeah. And uh, Rob Levinson is the one that I knew. And uh, all these guys in the BMW club revered Rob and thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. He was a really neat, he was a really cool guy. But I just thought it was funny, you know, that they... I I made a point of telling people that the short shift kit in my car had been installed by Rob Levinson himself. And I had the exhaust system that he designed for those cars. Uh, I also... Visited him in, in uh, I think it was New York or Connecticut. I was forced to drive his E28 M5 with a Dynan Turbo. Forced up- to. Yeah, terrible, <laughs> terrible uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember driving back to the hotel that I was staying in. We were, up, uh, we were at Lime Rock for a race, but since Lime Rock doesn't race on Sunday, we were out screwing around on Sunday. And uh, I went to pass somebody with with my M5, which 256 horsepower US in 1988 was pretty impressive. And I went to pass somebody, downshifted into third gear, put my foot down, went by him, and went, God, my car sucks compared to that compared to that turbo. And it's interesting, you know, as, as much as I've never owned a turbo car until now, except for the pickup. The other car that I regret not buying, and I should have. But I, I just, the same reason why I had trouble buying the BMW was I don't care much for the image. You know, for years and years and years, BMW owners suffered the same uh, image issues that Porsche owners do, except Porsche owners have succeeded in maintaining that. BMW owners now are just leased, are just lease buyers, just like Mercedes buyers. But uh, I had an uncle who had a, uh, he had a real version of the car that Alan Richard Allen R owns. Allen R has an '86 930 Turbo, which is a very nice car, much more not not much more, but more more refined. My uncle had a '78. That's one that uh, I, I could I could see I could see owning. I, my uncle was an incredibly generous man. Uh, I went out for a wedding in the Bay Area, and asked if I could take the car. He said, "Oh, take the Porsche. Go ahead." Nothing like coming across Dumbarton Bridge at two o'clock in the morning at 125 miles an hour because you can. I have a a friend out here who has a car collection. I always used to tell Eric, you know, never drive your heroes.
1: And then I drove a Renault R5
2: and wrote an article about it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, you know, among among the cars he has is a turbo, uh, you know, Renault Turbo 2. And you know, and Eric, you know, I remember Eric saying, you know, it's got horrible turbo legs. It's 1985, (laughs) but it's still cool. I mean, you know, it's still as weird as ever, and it's very French, Mm -hmm. which means it actually makes the British cars look sensible.
1: Well, I tell you, (laughs) and the turbo lag, it was funny because I hadn't experienced turbo lag like that since I had gotten rid of my original, I had a UR Quattro. And oh, yeah. those were even worse. It was like a 930 where it was a light switch. So you waited for it. And all of a sudden it's like, bang. And then you had to shift again. And then you waited for it and you repeated the process. At, oh, least, okay. a, at least a Renault, because it was a much smaller motor, it spun up quicker. But you're still like, okay, when's the boost coming on? And then oh, it would just come yeah. on, you know? But <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Wow. Hello, hello. is anybody home? Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> oh
1: my God. The UR Quattro was a dog when it wasn't on boost.
2: <laughs> and, and, and to show you what an idiot I am, Eric might remember this. There was a period of time where I owned two of the rarest German sports cars ever, or sports sedans ever built. I had Audi V eight and an E twenty eight M five. There you go. And I used to have people who would talk about, dude, dude, my 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 GTI is rare because they only made twenty thousand in white, and I, I, I used to piss people off. I said, I'll tell you what. When you have total production under 1,200, call me.
0: 100%. Mic drop. Well, what about you, Matt? What are you, What are you thinking for your, your
2: garage, your dream garage? I, I will admit I like – if I could afford to do it every day, I would drive that pickup truck of mine and, and, and not not worry about a car. I, mean, hey. I built the Jetta wagon for my dad, and I liked the car. Yeah. You know, if, if I had a neat – I mean, it was a – it was a full boat GLX. I mean, you know, V6, automatic, uh, climatronic, everything. And um, if I had a need for it after he passed away, I'd have kept it, you know, but it just, I didn't need a car that got 18 miles a gallon. And it rode so nice and smooth, it literally put me to sleep. I, 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 I alternate between liking the dually and liking the single rear wheel. I drove the exact same truck I have now in a dually and ended up buying this one instead. And, you know, 20, what year is this? 22 years later, a single rear wheel ain't bad. You know, it, it fits in parking spaces better. Although with a 20-foot-long truck, as Dan knows, you don't really fit in parking spaces anyway. But uh, I, I'd probably have something like that, uh, you know, a full, full-size truck. Uh, I, I like the Ford. I, lo- I looked at the Dodges when they were new, and the comment was, Chrysler offers the best engine wrapped in a Dodge truck, <laughs> and um, you know Ford with with two hundred and forty one thousand original miles on mine, I ain't complaining. Guarantee you one hundred and twenty of those one hundred and twenty thousand of those miles are with a ten thousand pound trailer
1: behind it. The key thing about yours is it's manual instead of the automatic they have behind it. Oh, mm.
2: and and let me tell you, there's a reason for that. There, there's a reason why I bought that truck. <laughs> In fact, I would tell the dealers as I was looking for those, I says, you know, I'm looking for an F350. You know, you'd see that look and they, you know, I want the diesel and of course you get even more excited. And I looked at him, I says, oh yeah, and it's got to be a manual because I never learned how to drive an automatic.
1: (laughs) My mom (laughs) says the exact same thing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I'm amazed at the people, you know, you want to drag my truck? Yeah. Oh, it's got three. Yeah, uh, but that—that I—that's one of them. You know, I, I as much as I like the nine thirty turbo, I, I just I've had a fascination with these cars since I was ten years old. I want a real Cobra. My uh, my high school friend, his his dad. You you've heard me talk about him. Uh, my friend Bill. He's got a. Well, he sold it. He had a fifty-two foot wood boat. He had a Superformance Cobra, which is the uh, factory-approved fiberglass version of the original AC Cobra. And um, his, however, you know, be, being, a, being a 427, happened to have a 427 side oiler in it. You know, the motor that the block is worth, like, 20 grand. There's just something about those cars that I just – my favorite my favorite phrase about those cars is they, they said more than one buyer – did not make it to the first payment, they said, you wouldn't give a first time shooter a 44 Magnum, just like you wouldn't put them in a 427 Cobra. Agreed.
1: And I, like,
2: and I And I like that. I like, I like a car you've got to respect. What I can't stand about any of the new cars is, and I, I remember watching one of the uh, top gears, he, uh, it was one of the BMWs, you could get it to, to drive, auto drive or something like that. And it's boring. You know, any, anybody can drive them fast because you just put your foot down and turn the wheel and it does the rest. I've ridden in uh, I have a neighbor out here who has, uh, he, he just bought the new Supra, but um, he was uh, proud to say he had purchased three brand new AMG products in one calendar year. Ooh. Well, he had he had the GTR, so, you know, give him some credit, but he had a GLA or the GLA as I would refer to it. And to drive, and he also had the, uh, what was it, the E63, I think, sedan. The, the, the cars are, they, they make really neat noises, you know, and they make popping noises when the turbos, to, 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 to go around a turn, you put your foot on the floor, and you yank the wheel, and the car does everything else for you. There's absolutely no talent involved. Anybody can drive those cars fast, and that's, that's, that's that there's, there's absolutely no appeal
0: so, so we've got your, your Ford. We've got your, your the biggest truck in the world and the smallest car in the world, your Cobra. What are you going to put in between? If I could find
2: another one, and there were only 53 ever built, I really liked my Audi V8. It was an interesting car. Nobody knew what the hell it was. The automatic transmission sucked. It was a four-speed. Slushy. Well, it was a four-speed that was geared for Europe. So just like a Mercedes, if you've ever driven a Mercedes, as you pull away, it starts off in second gear, and it's really soft. Now, when you're going about 100 miles an hour, you put your foot down, it moves. Unfortunately, until you get to about, I don't know, 40, it's a slug. I hate to say I like the car. I mean, it was, uh, quattros are amazing cars to drive. The sophistication in the, in the, uh, 90 to 93 Audi V8 Quattros is amazing. Uh, I would I would venture to say that it was more technically advanced in its day than anything else on the road. You know, there there, there certainly weren't a lot of four wheel all wheel drive cars. This thing had switchable ABS, front and rear fog lights, which were unheard of in the U.S.
1: And not to mention, when my parents were looking at their Coupe Quattro, the salesman, you know, was showing off a black-on-black V8 Quattro, which was a very rare color combination because all of them were pearl white for the most part. You, it, had,
2: fine, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was uh, one of the only cars at the time to have an integrated car phone, and that yes. was a selling point.
2: Yes, yes. Well, the, the, you know, the neat thing was it had a ski sack, mm-hmm. and all four seats were heated. So you know, and and of course, put that all in perspective. You know, we uh, Eric and I have had this this these conversations before as well, which is yeah, but that car you know that car sucks, right? But in 1988, the E28 M5 was amazing. Nothing nothing had four doors, real leather. You know, and it was it was a it was a fancier leather than the stock seats. But the v the V8 was. More practical the uh, I, I made the mistake of driving the e 28 m5 to work one day when it snowed. My boss's boss and I were, were in the car as I am idling out of the parking lot. sideways, and he's laughing at me because he goes, what the hell's with this thing. Well, that's how you know a high horsepower car with with independent suspension and, and, and summer tires happens to handle the weather. You know the, that that quattro now the Quattro, as long as you put real tires on it, and I, I learned that from experience, was unstoppable. Uh, I drove it to work one day, and there was probably two inches of snow in the fast lane. All the big, giant SUVs were poking along in the in the clear slow lane at about twenty miles an hour. Then I went by them at about thirty-five, you know, rooster tails of snow, with my seat heater on and the radio on, and just cruising along as if it were dry, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think those would be my, my, my three, the new cars are great. And, you know, I, I like them very much and they absolutely terrify me. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, I just bought this Mazda and I like it. I don't know what will, what will happen if something were to fail. I guess we'll find that out in another episode. Well, working, I'm working, I'm working for a guy who does a lot of state inspections for used cars and it's interesting to see what's coming through. I mean, last week we had Moby the white whale. It said Nissan GTR on it. Oh God! What a fucking hideous car! And what a worthless car! Harry, you know that might be the perfect car
1: for you—the Chevrolet Malibu Max. Oh, I forgot about that gigantic turd. That thing is yeah, ugly yeah, as he, sin. How about you go fuck yourself? <laughs> But it's, it's awesome. also lighter on fire with a candle. It's Seriously. So I'd like rather an Aztec. Back.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, right. I'll take two Aztecs. <laughs> and you can <laughs> have that thing. And uh, a via V-A-Cross. What, did, what the, so the so fuck was that thing called? The V cross The, yeah, the V cross is awesome. Yeah, but the, the, the Max was actually the same chassis as the Pontiac G6, even the coupe. Mm-hmm. Because oh. Pontiac was doing their whole wider is better thing still. They you know wanted the longer wheelbase on the G6,
0: so they took the Malibu Max's wheelbase rather than the Malibu's wheelbase for the G6. Uh,
2: so the, the other the other nice thing actually, and it's kind of the, the, the dark secret is that was in the period where Chevrolet was selling everything as an SS. Yeah. So you could get a Sonic SS or a Malibu Max SS. Yes. Cavalier SS. What the fuck do you do with a Malibu Max SS? I'm not
1: sure. It's
2: a Cobalt, and it does the quarter
1: mile faster than a GT3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, until you start. It. <laughs> don't, don't be talking! Don't be talking smack about that HHR. That is a high quality vehicle, people.
2: Uh, that chat went on so damn
0: long, and that was horrible. Everything about <laughs> that whole... Every the whole tire thread was horrible. Wait, wait, that was I'm gonna...
2: the era of so much SS that they made the SSR. <laughs> but you want to talk about bad general morons products
1: cadillac cimarron oh dude that is that that i mean my daughter would design the look of that car it's it's like what a kid would draw in terms well, of well how do you
2: take the shittiest cheapest car gm makes and then make it worse let's add leather and wood you got you guys are way too young for this but you you don't remember this beautiful car from my childhood the Chevy Citation X11. Citation? Citation? Oh yes. The Chevy Citation, the first front-wheel drive. The X11 was a V6 performance car. The
0: Citation,
2: I love that. Look, look yeah. it up. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it's the Citation.
2: Yeah. So oh, that reminds a me. a reason why. So, and there was a kid I went to high school with who had one. who thought he was hot shit for years. General Motors, you know, they you can lease a uh, a General Motors product if you work for General Motors for, you know, for practically nothing. And uh, this, is, this is when I was working in Detroit. Apparently, quite a few of those middle managers had Aztecs because there was nothing else on the roster. In other words, you want to lease a, uh, 60, a Pontiac 6000 STE, you have to have an Aztec. You, you want to get a Firebird, you have to have an Aztec. You want a Cadillac? You have to have an Aztec because they couldn't sell them. Yeah, it was the same it was the same reason why Ford corporate guys were driving Tour door explorer Sports forever. Couldn't sell them. You may you 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 guys again are way too young for this. Ford had an advertisement for the Grenada, and it was who would uh, a car a Grenada? It, <laughs> that it wrote it rode so well that the guy would <laughs> that the guy was going to. Uh, cut a diamond in it because the ride was so smooth and of course he cut his balls um, off <laughs> well well it gets better because saturday night live did a parody on it with a doing a mall in the back seat of a granada as it's been driven and the rabbi you hear wah it's a boy <laughs> has anybody ever did anybody ever drive barry miles's car the the omni the shelby omni yeah the glhs No, oh, i know you have right yeah that it's still a horrible car. <laughs> they tripled the horsepower. Is even, it, as, even, it even even at a hundred miles an hour? It's a horrible car. As bad as the Shelby Dakota, I've driven that. Or too. sorry, he Shelby had, Durango. He has one of those. I've driven both. Oh, the Durango. There's nothing. Actually, you know what? The Durango, or the the Dakota is fine because it's a pickup truck with a five nine. Big deal. The best was that it had the. uh the 440 six pack hood on it. So as you go down the road at 60 miles an hour, you watch the hood going, trying to wait for it to
1: open. They call that the shaker hood, the shaker hood. Yeah, it was shaking all right. But the thing thing with the Omni is again, like a rabbit, if you're not a fan of an original rabbit, if you're not a fan of the Panda or any of those really boxy hatchbacks or the Renaults or whatever, It is. It's. It's still in that category. I don't know that it's truly ugly. I mean, you guys are putting out some softballs. Okay. I'm looking.
2: Oh, it's it's ugly. I don't know that it was ugly. It was just weird. But then, I mean, look the 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 all time ugly but kicks ass car is still the BMW the original BMW M Coupe the clown the clown shoe the clown shoe. So again, it's like the 928. It's a very nice car as long as you don't look at it. My question is this. Have you ever driven a manual transmission Chrysler of that genre?
1: No, and I kind of secretly want to, and that's why, Matt.
2: No, no, you don't, because I, I used to have to drive it fairly regularly because it was one of the two cars that I got to drive if I left my car at my friend's. Yeah. A Chrysler minivan, five-speed. What What? Talk, talk about rare. All
1: right, so look at that car. And...
2: Shifting that car would make it makes a VW Beetle transmission feel uh, notchy. You know, look at look at look at the stuff that they're trying to trying to shove down your throats today. You know, the uh, I don't know the the we lost Brad. All the all the cars that look exactly the same today. Yeah, I mean you know it, you know look at me. I have a new Kia that looks just like a Hyundai, which looks just like a Chevy, looks just like a Ford.
1: Okay, so look up the Suzuki X90.
2: Hey now, I want one of those. They're hot.
1: No, it's not.
2: Oh, that's awesome with the plow. <laughs> the X the X ninety the, oh, the X ninety is the only thing I want aside from a Geo Metro convertible. Hey, hey, hey! Don't yeah. be up with the X19. Yeah, yeah. you want to talk about fucking there, There's
0: the Italian Fiero.
2: It's not that it's ugly, it's that it was just a fucking dog. The only the only good thing about an X19 is you you could be seen in it for a long time. I mean, you could you could floor it to pull away from the stoplight, and they'd still see you for 20 minutes. Well, you know, the best thing is, look at any of these cars. Look at look at any of those 80s, 90s cars today, and you just you can't believe that people bought them. But that was what they had available. The the wagons I liked were from the mid 70s. I had a uh, I had a Chevy Kingswood wagon, full size wagon. I paid 50 dollars for it. Best car I ever bought for 50 bucks. <laughs> The uh, and the coolest thing about it was, you put the key in the in the back and you turned it, and if you, you held it just a little bit, and the window went up into the roof. If you held it, turned it further, the tailgate went into the uh, sunk into the body, and it was awesome because you could load dead bodies and you didn't have to load them over a tailgate or anything.
0: Nice, and, efficient.
2: And it had the third row. It had the third <coughs> row.
0: For before could, the bodies were dead.
2: We had fourteen people in it one night. Damn. I mean you know that and it was you couldn't hurt it. I hit a building in
1: Georgetown and set off the burglar alarm. <laughs> it's like that scene from Lost Bullet and you guys all Were those heard fourteen
2: people dead or alive? We're not sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, I think we've we've covered a a lot. They're pretty much everything we planned, and then some. <laughs> that okay. sounds good, thank you. I got I'm gonna I, I'm gonna hit it. Um, all right, Matt. If, anybody, mm-hmm. if anybody's coming up this way tomorrow, give me a shout.
1: Will do. All right, man. All right, later. Bye. Thanks. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization. And our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind the scenes content, extra goodies and GTM swag.